On today's episode, Becky Anison and I make a challenge and become the alpha. This is The Hard Move. Hello and welcome to The Hard Move, a Powered by the Apocalypse discussion podcast. I am your host, Matthew Gravelin, and with me today is my guest, Becky Anison. How are you doing, Becky? I'm doing really well, thank you, Matthew. So we um, just were talking about children and how they kind of dictate our schedules. <laughs> so, um, which is which is great because I always feel a little weird rescheduling based on kids because it always sounds like an excuse. And when I have a, a parent on the show, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. No, no problem. <laughs> yeah, we're all in the same club. We know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Becky, you are currently working on a PBTA game that we're going to chat about. Um, but is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners about that they might know you from? Yeah, so I'm one half of uh, Black Armada Games, which is like this really teeny tiny indie RPG publishing company that I run with my partner um, and a few years ago we put out a game together called Lovecraft-esque which has done pretty pretty nicely. Um, before that I had a game published called When the Dark is Gone which is in the Seven Wonders anthology which Pelgrane Press have put out and I've worked on a few other titles as well. I've, I've done some work for Hillfolk and Trail of Cthulhu and, and things like that as well. Now you say teeny tiny, and I know what you mean, but I also went through your list of games, and it's like, when does this list end? There are so many games here. Um, so, um, and a lot of them, it looks like you offer for free on your website, Black Armada. Yes, that's right. That's right. So I am going to be diving headfirst into there, because I, I know there has to be at least a couple of games on that list that are going to really tickle my fancy. So <laughs> I hope so. I do hope so. So... It's great to have you on. We are going to be talking about a move from your current project, which is called Bite Me! Exclamation point, which is funding on Kickstarter right now. Uh, would you like to give us kind of the elevator pitch on that uh, to frame the discussion? So Bite Me! is a game about werewolf pack dynamics. And what does that mean? So this is a game where the players are playing werewolves, obviously, but it's it's the sort of the, the werewolf genre which isn't the really traditional stuff, which is somebody, a, a lone person who turns into a wolf. This is sort of the more modern end of the werewolf genre of fiction. Um, things like um, the TV show Teen Wolf or novels by Kelly Armstrong, Patricia Briggs, which really taps into what does a pack dynamic look like. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of the game is, it, is really, really focused on... Um, drawing out some of the complexities of that pack dynamic and playing with them and that sort of thing. As a unabashed fan of the Twilight movies, I also <laughs> really craved more of what you're describing in those movies. Mm. Um, and just because it is such a weird, different, non-standard human social dynamic where there is this kind of authoritarian vibe to it, but also just this really intense connection of emotions and, and personal levels. And it's just like this weird cauldron of tension and high-powered emotions that just like, I really want to explore more of that. It just seems very interesting. Uh, well, that's exactly what I kind of wrote Bite Me to do, because that's something I've always really loved about werewolf myths and werewolf stories. And I kind of 
in my mind, I've always taken it that one step further and say, you've got, as you say, this kind of cauldron of control and authority and that you share this really kind of dark secret, which or a secret that can be quite dark. But then also, you're also animals. And what that sort of says to me is that you can smell when somebody's afraid and I've always been really kind of fascinated by the idea and I've tried to pull it into the game a lot is what would a world look like if we didn't hide our emotions from each other? Mm-hmm. What, would a, what would a world look like if you said, hi, how are you doing to somebody? And they genuinely told you how their day was going <laughs> instead of being like, yeah, I'm fine. It's all good. Right. You know, but they said, you know, this is the thing that's really bothering me. Um, and the, the reason that, that there was conversations would take place was because what is the point of lying to somebody who can smell when you're depressed? Right. Yeah, exactly. There's um, a lot of different stories have a lot of different takes on a supernatural connection between members of the pack. And at that point, like you said, lying becomes a complete waste of time. There's no point in doing it. So we just skip right to sharing our every emotion to its fullest. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's, that's really what I'm trying to get to with Bite Me and, and the kind of the conceit of werewolves and pack dynamics kind of gives you a narrative framing for that that you don't get in other places. Yeah. So the move that uh, you have brought is kind of at the core of what we were describing as the authoritarian um, kind of presence of the game. And, and this move kind of revolves around the alpha um, who is kind of the unquestionable leader of the pack, except for they are questionable. <laughs> and you have created a move to encapsulate that act of questioning and helping the players resolve what arguably could be an extremely complicated, messy, interpersonal affair into a single PBTA move. Well, I certainly hope it's extremely (laughs) messy and complicated. Um, But yeah, I've chosen this move because although there are other moves in this game and there are moves about that emotional connection, one of the moves that's actually generated the most discussion is the make a challenge move. I thought it would be the moves where you talk about your feelings. I thought that would be where people were like, whoa, what's what's going on there? But actually one of the things that's generated a lot of discussion is this make a challenge move. And I think because it taps into some real traditional tropes of werewolves that are under discussion right now. Yeah, so you've already you've already named our move, which is make a challenge. That's um, right. And it's kind of a long move. So I actually thought we could just kind of touch on the highlights of the move text and then more deeply read them out uh, as we get to them. Just so um, we know what we're talking about. Um, So uh, let me just quickly go down the bullet points here. Um, So it's when you attempt to dominate the alpha or take control of the pack temporarily or permanently, use this move. Alphas may not make this move. Uh, 10 plus, you are now the pack leader. Take the alpha skin and discard your previous skin. So (laughs) automatically, we got some really interesting stuff going on here. Um, 7 to 9, you succeed, but only just. You are in control for now, but it can change at any moment. Uh, On a 0 to 6, you fail and take a permanent scar, mental or physical, and a minus 1 to a stat of your choice. Holy cow. Yeah, so... This this move. (laughs) This is a big move. There's a lot going on. And I kind of... Part of the reason that this move is so big is because I don't anticipate people doing it two or three times a session. 
and the the move has been built so that you would be very much discouraged from doing it multiple times a session or even multiple times a game but i think it's a really core move to have in there even if it doesn't get used very often because as you say the alpha they are this authoritarian figure they're in control of the pack Um, one of the one of the reasons this move is in here is because there is a sister move called dominate so it's a wolfy society. If you want to get somebody to do something and they won't do it, then you can dominate them into doing it. And there's that's a whole other move. But you can't dominate the alpha. So one of the perks, if you like, of taking mm-hmm. the alpha playbook is that by and large, other play- players can't dominate you. So that's interesting in and of itself. So the reason the maker challenge is in there is to kind of counterbalance that and say, no, you can't dominate the alpha. That's because an alpha who is constantly being dominated by other people would kind of break that layer of authority that the alpha is supposed to represent. So if you're going to break the layer of authority, you have to break it. It's not yeah. enough to just say, oh, I'll dominate you. But then everything, you know, the social order goes back to normal after I've done it. No, the social order does not go back to normal if you attempt to dominate the, the alpha. The social order will start to break down and depending on what you roll whether it's a 10 or a 7 to 9 it can break down really fast yeah i mean i i I looked at this and i immediately said whoa the the risk here is pretty rough um so yeah that was actually going to be my first question was how often did you kind of intend this move to be used and it sounds like you've put a, a deal a great deal of thought into that um with the risk reward here being, I mean, we're talking about uh, a permanent scar and a minus, a permanent minus one to a stat. Yeah, that's big. That's, that's big for, you know, for, for the PBTA probability curve, that's massive. Yes. And, but then on the other side on that 10 plus, it's take a whole new skin. It's get a whole new playbook and the other previous alpha. Well, let's dive into this. So they can take a new playbook with their current character, keeping their, stats and choosing an equal number of new moves that they had um, on the alpha playbook, or they can create a whole new character with new stats, take a new playbook and take a number of moves equal to their alpha. So like that's already game changing for there to become a new alpha and the alpha to either become a new playbook or become a whole new character. That's wild. Yeah. And, and then that's (laughs) kind of the, the, this is what I sort of meant when I said, you you know, I wanted a move that modeled the breaking of a social order. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you have a player who's an alpha, obviously that player is going to read the basic moves. They know that this uh-huh. is in here. They know that this is that sort of Damocles you know, hanging over their head, that if they're not performing in a way that the pack is finding acceptable, that this may be the ultimate sanction on that. And that's very deliberate. And I wanted it to have this kind of real sense of a sudden shift. And so it's not just that, of course, the alpha as a player might through this move, which is a move they don't make. It's a move someone else would make on them, mm-hmm. lose their playbook completely. And I did want to give them the option of saying you can either lean into that drama and take a new playbook for your old character and have that old character still in the pack because that's that's some juicy drama right there. Oh, you know, yeah. that is, that is going to going to be drama that feeds right into the whole emotional spilling mechanic that we've got going on elsewhere Uh or if that is something which just just doesn't sit with you and you really don't fancy it given that this move 
you know, takes away some of your control of your character, then you can choose a new skin. You know, there's NPC pack mates kicking around. Maybe you're going to pull one of those in. Maybe you'll be a change completely and have a fresh, completely fresh character brought into the pack somehow, some way, narratively. Um, But of course, I think that one of the interesting things is that the person who makes the move also, if they roll on a 10 plus, changes their skin and that's happened to me in the I'm, I'm in the game at the moment and I had picked my skin I'd picked the prodigal which is this kind of whole you know angst ridden character who has previously been thrown out of the pack and brought back in and I was like I'm ready I'm ready to be this rebellious angsting character and in the first session my mm-hmm. character got manipulated into making a challenge and before I knew where I was, I was holding the alpha playbook in my hand. And as a player, I was going, oh, no, I was really looking forward to being this kind of rebellious kind of, you know, outsider. And now, now I'm in the middle of the pack. Um, but actually leaning into that and saying, mm-hmm. well, that's a really interesting space to be role playing in, isn't it? That's really exciting. I can do some really cool stuff with that. So um, there's a couple of mechanical things that I... I kind of, I think I noticed, and I wanted to dig into a little bit just to see what your your thoughts were on them. Uh, so the first thing that I noticed is that the person who had the alpha playbook picks a new playbook, a new skin, and chooses a number of moves equal to their number of moves they had on the alpha playbook. Yeah. But the person who is becoming the alpha, as far as I'm reading this correctly, only gets one move on the alpha playlist. But they do get to keep their original moves. So they get to choose an oh, additional okay. move that they didn't have before. So whereas the alpha okay. has the same number of moves that they had, but now their new skin moves, um, okay. the the incoming alpha gets to keep their skin moves and take an alpha move. And, and the reason for that is partly you just rolled a 10 plus, you know? Sure. You've rolled a 10 plus on a move, which is a really big move with a massive risk to it. So I wanted to give people a big reward and say, you know what, you did a really difficult thing there you took a big risk let's give you a big reward by saying instead of waiting until you've got an advance you can just get a new move it's partly there because the alpha moves do a lot of things around supporting the pack and making them cohesive and it is good for the person who's coming in as alpha to have access to some of that stuff from the beginning um, Mm -hmm. and makes that transition a little easier for them um but also the alpha player will have a bunch of moves which are around being alpha and supporting the pack. And it seems it's it's not real, really necessarily realistic or fair or, or good narratively to say, well, they just hold on to those. It's better to, for them to say, right. okay, well, you can get a fresh choice. You can trade in your alpha moves for something which is going to suit your new position better. So you're not feeling like you're sitting on a pile of moves that kind of don't really make sense anymore and have become kind of right. significantly weakened. I do like this, though, that the the new alpha, though, does still have a lot of moves, but only one alpha move. So they are a slightly less effective Mm. alpha in that way, um, which seems like it lays the mechanical groundwork for supporting the narrative of a new leader coming in and maybe not being quite as good at the leader-y stuff as the previous alpha. Exactly. And I think the other thing that's nice is it puts that character in a bit of a liminal state um, in that mm-hmm. they, there are going to be times where they're going to be wanting to and, and are completely allowed to use their old moves. 
lean back on mm-hmm. the person that they used to be before they became alpha. And then there's going to be times when they're going to be using their new alpha move. And I think it's just a really nice kind of microcosm of that state of the new alpha, somebody who's adjusting to their position and sort of, you know, kind of between two worlds, you know, as, as they make that transition. Yeah, exactly. So there's already a lot of choices and kind of a degree of uncertainty with the full success. (laughs) Then we go another layer down to our mixed success. um, And the full text here is you succeed, but only just you are in control of the pack for now, but it could change at any moment. Don't take the alpha skin yet. You'll need to make another make a challenge move at a 10 plus to gain permanent control. Take minus one to the pack pool. So... We're not going to dive too far into the pack pool, but this is a shared resource that gives boons to all members of the pack, um, and it rewards them for acting as a pack and stuff like that. So taking uh, minus one to the pack already, again, we're we're already setting up that this is a very risky move that is going to have wide-sweeping consequences. But what I like here is that it literally is a mixed success. You Mm. have control, but you didn't, you're not finished so there is still another alpha like maybe you just got a hold of this conversation or this you know battle plan or this whatever and you were heard and you had control but we know we absolutely know that this move is not done yet and there will need to come a moment later in the narrative where we kind of finish this and say do you actually become the alpha or do you fall back from that and something bad happens to you and the other alpha's there does somebody else come in and try and be the, like there's so many outpoints here the thing that i wanted to talk about is this needs to make another role does this happen can this happen anytime can this happen immediately if we keep having the conversation does this happen next session what are your intentions i guess with that foreshadowing as with many sort of pbta games you make a move you make the move so you have to do something to make a challenge you have to try and dominate somebody or or one of the things you might do is um dominate a pack mate to disobey an alpha's direct order because again that's breaking Mm -hmm. that social contract um so what this is saying is you've done one thing and you have, you know, if you dominated a pack mate into disobeying an alpha's direct order, they do do disobey that order. Um, and the minus one pack pool means that you've started to destabilize that social contract and that social order. Mm-hmm. But as you say, you're not done yet. And then it really leaves it up to the player. Are you doing this because you think your character thinks that there's a really bad situation and the alpha is making a bad decision in this one situation, in which case... You make a challenge because you you believe they're doing something really wrong, but you don't necessarily want to have control of the pack. And what's nice, of course, is that, you know, you still run the risk of actually ending up with the alpha playbook in your lap. You know, mm-hmm. you thought you could do a better job. You didn't really want to take the alpha playbook. Your character didn't want to be alpha, but you've ended up with it anyway. Right. It's a nice consequence. But then this is saying that, you know, you would need to do another thing. You would need to make another challenge to kind of cement that and hope that you get a 10 plus or manipulate, you know, spending other points mm-hmm. to get you your 10 plus to get you your playbook to, to be in full control. But yes, yeah, so it's this, this is kind of halfway house of saying the thing that you were trying to do immediately, that works. But you've destabilized the pack. And if you really do want to be alpha, you're going to have to find another way to make this move again, make another challenge. 
is your intention that the person making this move has to do another challenge move? Or if they get this kind of mixed success and they take control in this moment, but then later decide that, no, I'm not fit for leading, they could just kind of let it peter out and let the old alpha kind of step back in. Um, I know that sounds a little anticlimactic, but I can imagine a very interesting narrative where the non-alpha just wants to take control right now, but want, doesn't want the responsibility in full. Um, what, what do you think about that scenario? So for me, a lot of these mechanics are built to creating situations which have emotional tension or dramatic tension in them. And I honestly think that in that seven to nine result, there is equal amounts of dramatic tension in going ahead and making a second make a challenge move and becoming alpha and taking that away and equally in stepping back and saying, now I've destabilized the pack. I don't really want to take it any further. You step back in, old alpha, and I'll just get on with it. You know, I think that both of them have a really kind of rich and fertile ground for dramatic tension. And I would be equally happy with a player taking either choice. Awesome. Yeah, because that's that was kind of what I was thinking is, especially as you were setting up earlier, you had no intention of playing the alpha. You had all these plans to play the prodigal. And then you you make this move, or even more interestingly, you're manipulated into making this move, and suddenly you're the alpha. And having that seven to nine gives you that brief window into that, and then you go, oh no, I did not actually want <laughs> this. This is not for me. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and then the only other part of this is is uh, a hard fail. Um, you take a permanent scar, mental or physical, and a minus one to a stat of your choice. Um, so minus one to a stat, easy. Well, not mm -hmm. easy, simple. <laughs> we know what that means, um, but that's rough. Again, this is a huge risk move. Um, is the scar in um, Bite Me a mechanic or is this just kind of a, a narrative cosmetic, quote unquote, uh, okay. aspect? So it's a narrative aspect. Um, I wanted to have a narrative aspect to balance out the mechanical of the minus one stat. But mm -hmm. again, a lot of... A lot of what Bite Me does is creating reasons for people to have difficult emotional conversations. So walking away from this encounter with a permanent scar, mental or physical somehow, mm -hmm. gives you something to have a difficult conversation about, an emotional release, a cathartic conversation about later on, which would be a mechanical thing. So it's about providing... Um, fodder for those conversations because we can't have them in a vacuum of things happening. Right. Yeah, I did like that because there was already this minus one to a stat, which is a very oversimplified, sterile sentence. But we know from playing PBTA games that that minus one is going to create new situations down the mm. road where you're likely to fail or get them. It's, it's encouraging you to fail or get mixed <laughs> successes more, which again are, are the more narrative aspects of PBTA. Yes, getting a full success is interesting at times, but more often than not, story is progressed in a really interesting yeah. way through mixed success and failure. Absolutely. Seven to nines are the best, the best results, I think, from from my perspective as a player. Seven to nines are my favorite, favorite results. Yeah, absolutely. Hard, hard agree. <laughs> the only other question I had about this um, six minus is there's already a lot happening here 
um, that could be detrimental to a character. Does the GM also get to make hard moves here, or is is there enough bad happening here that the GM should just kind of lean into this without adding even more? So um, for me, the GM should not be making a hard move in addition to this, because firstly, because a minus one to a stat is a pretty hard move in and of itself, um, yes. but also because in this move, I want the focus to be on the internal pack dynamics. Mm-hmm. This is not a situation where a MC should be coming in and, you know, to use kind of apocalypse world terminology, announcing future badness or having extra harm being dealt or, you know, having some the pack split apart or something like that. This is not a situation where I want the MC to feel like they need to be inventing something and bringing in extra pressure. This is a move where the the consequences of it fall out as they do automatically without the MC creating something because this is a situation of internal pack politics which and the fallout happens automatically it's out of the MC's hands and that's deliberate yeah I, I got that impression from reading this move that this there is a lot of choice and ambiguity in this move but as far as I'm reading it virtually all of it lies with the players absolutely that's that's very much uh, that's very much deliberate this is um a, you know the, the there's the game is sort of split into two halves there's what happens inside the pack and the drama inside the pack and then there's the threats from outside the pack which press them back together when the mc has been trying to wedge the pack apart um, and this is one of those moves which is very very focused completely on the internals of the pack and what's going on with the social dynamic and the social construct uh, contract that i've that i've talked about before again i think that's the most interesting aspect of this game for me is that even amongst these powerful dangerous harmful creatures it's still kind of focusing the lens across the board on, but how do they live together? How do they coexist? Mm. How do they support each other or don't support each other? That's that's exactly right. And and although Make a Challenge and, and other moves in here are hard, because as I said, you know, a player makes a Make a Challenge move and suddenly the player alpha has their character completely changed out from under them. Mm-hmm. You know, and th- that's that. You know, apart from all of the minus one to a stat and the thing, that's the really hard move in here is that a player's character is changed without their agency, right? And that's why you know it, it's really important that people me- read the basic move sheet and know what they're getting into if they're playing the alpha and playing mm-hmm. other characters, um, and that that there is an element of choice and control in some of these moves. You know, in that. You, if you're making a challenge move, these moves are tempting. These are deliberately tempting moves with really bad consequences to them. Because I want people to look at that and be tempted to take that on board, but also to recognize that when they do it, they're going to be generating emotional drama. Because that's really what this is trying to get to, is to saying... What, what I really want to happen is for that losing alpha who's a player to really enjoy the you know, the set of scenes and interactions they have once this make a challenge move is done and they are in a completely different space. Because that's where the really interesting thing, because these are hard moves, but I don't want these moves to be the end of the story. 
These right. are the start of the story. These are the start of the difficult relationship between two characters. And part of what is fun about Bite Me is saying, wow, you know, well, we've got to have five more sessions now with my character resenting your character for taking the alpha position away from me. Let, you know, we can have a lot of fun with that pulling that out and enjoying that kind of that tension and looking at that tension not as a win-lose situation as characters so as as players but as a win-win situation because we both get to have really really cool interesting interactions now that we wouldn't have had before right and i think that gets at a whole larger conversation about what tabletop role-playing games are should be can be <laughs> etc where there's and I I feel like this is turning into like an anti-D podcast at times, but oh, no. <laughs> part of what I don't like about DD is you are only really succeeding when your individual character is doing something well. Like your character doesn't yeah. get a lot when other characters are doing well inherently. And that goes against what PBTA is. Sometimes yeah. in PBTA, you failing a move is not a bad thing inherently. Like, yes, something bad is going to happen to your character, but most games are not set up to kill your character. There are games where your character no. literally cannot die. And <laughs> that's one of those things that I try and get across to new players when I go on one of my pro PBTA rants is, you know, this isn't about winning. This isn't about your character doing well. The core point, the one thing that I try and tell people about PBTA games is we're trying to tell an interesting story. And as long as we all buy into that and are all okay with the journey, then we will have fun. But you do have to let go. And in the case of Bite Me and Challenging the Alpha, you might have to let go a lot, literally yeah. letting go of your playbook. Yeah. Which, again, is is huge. It is easily one of the largest consequences uh, of a move that I've ever read, and certainly the largest one that I think I've ever talked about on the show. Um, do you have any tips around that or some examples of when that's gone really well for a player who might not want to give up their playbook and or a player might not want to take this playbook? How do you kind of help guide players through this move that arguably they're probably not used to seeing in a PBTA game? So I think there's there's two things. I think the first thing is play with people you trust and like to a certain extent. Or if you if you're playing with strangers um, at a convention, be really clear on what this game is. So when I run this game at conventions, and I do, and it works very well at conventions, I always start uh, or um, preface the game with a little discussion about player versus player actions. Because I think a lot of us are very familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons model, um, and those of us who've played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons are probably also very familiar with the um, the trope of the person in the party who plays the thief, who at the end of the adventure runs off with everybody else's treasure into the sunset, sits back and looks smug, feeling like that they personally have won the game, mm -hmm. and everybody else is left with a bit of a sour taste in their mouths. And what I say to people is, is that that is traditionally what we think of as a player versus player situation. Somebody trying to win against another player. Bite Me has got a ton of player versus player moves in it. Maker Challenge is one of them. There are others. Um, but the point of Bite Me and the way that the game is structured is that when those player versus player situations happen, 
the thief in your D&D example, you don't get to run off into the sunset and have the game <laughs> right. be over and feel like you've smugly won. What's going to happen is your pack are going to sit you down. They're going to remind you why they're a, you're all a pack. They're going to expect you to explain what you did because the moves incentivize them to do it. So it's not a situation where you get to feel like you've beaten the other players. The player versus player moves are there to um, bring drama into your relationships because actually there is nothing more satisfying than when you've had a lot of these moves kick off. You've had to make a challenge move kick off, but ultimately the MC has brought a load of threats to bear on the pack and you have come together despite all of those differences and succeeded. And you have this moment of real genuine camaraderie. And the part of the reason that camaraderie feels so sweet is because you have been kicking off all of these moves and you've been fighting literally like dogs. (laughs) And it makes the success that you have as a group all that sweeter. And so I really talk through these people and say, you know, these player versus player moves are in here not to win against the other players, but to create some really, really juicy tension so that when you eventually overcome it and feel like you're a real family actually out of character you're gonna feel really good about that and that's what this stuff is here for so that's kind of one of the ways that i kind of position it is i'm firstly i make it really really clear that these moves exist what is in them and then i say but this is not a situation where you're the thief running off into the sunset sitting back and feeling smug because when you have this story starts at the point at which everybody else has caught up with you in the next in along the way and is having it out with you right and and you should feel guilty about it and pull that, you know, drive that, use that guilt to pr- to pull off some of those emotional moves to make the pack stronger. That's, you know, it's kind of, it's it's very much kind of balanced out by the emotional moves in the game. Yeah. One of my immediate thoughts for playing around this, especially with strangers at a convention, um, is to have nobody be the alpha up front and have it be an NPC. So that way when we do start changing hands with the alpha playbook, it was never, it was never someone's to begin with. Like it never Mm. was anybody's. Um, What do you think about starting the game with an NPC alpha and letting alpha kind of transition to player hands in a more organic way? So I love that actually, you know, generally when I've run convention games, I've run it either with an NPC alpha or with a vacuum so mm-hmm. a situation where the alpha has suddenly disappeared or been killed or whatever, oh, but the good. game starts with no alpha at all, and mm-hmm. everybody has to work out what the hell are we going to do with with nobody in charge. That's a really really interesting place. But part of the reason I think that it's such a strong thing to start with either an NPC alpha or no alpha is not just as you say, although it's an excellent point that nobody feels ownership of the playbook per se, Mm -hmm. but also because actually if you're running a PBTA game in a convention one slot, you've probably got, I don't know, what, three to four hours, Mm -hmm. roughly speaking. That's not a lot of time to have a sprawling story where you've done a huge amount of world building. But if your story is, we're going to answer the question, who's going to be alpha at the end of these four hours? Yeah. That's a really tight way of bringing all the action back in. It's a really it's a really nice way of focusing everybody's relationships and focusing everybody's attention on uh, well you know uh, by the end of these four hours we're going to make a decision and we're going to decide who's going to be alpha and we're going to see what happens with that and then everything kind of can build up to that point which is quite nice 
Yeah, I mean, you built a, a, a one-shot generator into the game via this move, and I think that's just so excellent to have start with a player alpha, start with an NPC alpha, start with no alpha, and each of those has a different connotation for what the game is going to feel like and how long it might last. So it's actually slightly deliberate because I have scenarios in Bite Me, which are uh-huh. to help people do um, convention play. And they all have a central question. And the central question is not always about the alphadom, mm-hmm. um, but it's a very good s- provocative central question. If a very strong one is always around alpha, for, particularly for a one shot, I think. The obvious one, too, like for showing people this game for the very first time and you really want to kind of punch them with what is this game having that central question be and who is the alpha just it makes people think about this move when again Mm. this is a really pvp move this is a very risky move and if i wasn't otherwise pressured into doing this move in a four-hour convention game i might just say no we don't have time for that but (laughs) but saying we have to have time for that because that is the important thing because there is a power vacuum right now now we're creating we're creating tension but not in a you know throwaway type of way we're creating tension in a very real and meaningful way that has systems in place to govern it so it is easy to just sit down and say the one shot is this move yeah absolutely you know and it is so central and it, it's interesting you say that um because my although i have seen this move used in playtesting in campaign play i overwhelmingly see it more used in conventions and i think because it is such a hard move and mm-hmm. people tend to play a little bit faster and a little right. bit harder at conventions because you know you've got you know you're not so invested maybe and you know you don't have as much time i think is it is it monster hearts that has a quote in it about play your characters like this play npcs like they're stolen cars yes is it monster yes. hearts because what i say to players and in my gaming group what we say to each other is play your characters like they're stolen cars yes just take it up a notch just take it up a notch and and make a challenge. You know, if you are in a convention, playing your character like a stolen car, you're going to drive your character straight up, make a challenge. Because that's, that's where the big drama is going to be. Yeah, and it sounds like the game, even in a campaign setting, allows for swapping of playbooks pretty easily. So again, just if this move feels like the right thing to do and it feels like it would be narratively interesting... You know, one of the worst things that's going to happen is you get a new playbook or, you know, something changes about the group dynamic. Like, yeah, it's big and it's huge. But if if something really terrible happens, you're not stuck, per se. Like the game has some outs for you. Yeah. And I think I would also sort of encourage people to sort of think the um, the playbook that you are currently holding is an expression of who your character is right now. It's not who your character is, it's just who they are now. So if you end up getting booted out of your playbook or, or um, you know, deliberately doing this move because you want the Alpha's playbook, what you're doing is is really saying, so this is a journey that my character's on, who are they tra- transitioning to now? Because taking on the position of Alpha or losing the position of Alpha is a massive thing for your character. It's a massive thing that's going to change who they are. That's a really cool story. Go with that, you know? Mm -hmm. See where that story takes you. 
Yeah, it's almost more like a a, a job, right? This is I, I've lost my very important, meaningful job, which anybody who's ever lost a job against their will knows that that <laughs> is a huge blow to you, even if you weren't in control of an entire pack of werewolves. But it's a it's a big deal. But it isn't the end. It doesn't mean, oh, now I have to be a completely different person on the inside. It just means I have to take stock of what I want to do with my life going forward, which I feel is emulated here perfectly. And also standing up to authority. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. And it it's never not. it never ends with nothing happens. <laughs> I don't know if, if, if you've ever actually <laughs> stood up to a boss or a teacher or a parent or something you don't just walk, you don't just get a no and then walk away from that. Something no. is going to change in the status quo. Exactly. Because all of those situations you've described, a boss or a teacher, they're all dependent really on a social contract. Right. And the social context. And if you challenge that, then um, you're going to be undermining People are going to say you're undermining their authority. If you know, it, it changes the way other people perceive about the role. And this is one of the conversations that we had around this move. Somebody was saying, "Well, hang on a minute. Are you saying that if the alpha's not in the room, you could dominate a pack mate into disobeying an alpha's order and suddenly end up as alpha yourself?" And I said, "Absolutely." Because what you have done when you have successfully dominated that other pack mate, even an mm -hmm. NPC pack mate, to disobey the Alpha's order, you've done two things. Narratively, you've done two things. The first thing you have done is you have, in successfully doing that, you have made that pack mate or that, that NPC pack mate question the authority of the Alpha. And that is not a one-time thing. Oh, now I've questioned it. Now I'll just forget it happened. Mm -hmm. That is going to change how they feel about the alpha going forward. So that's the first thing. The second thing that's happened is, is that um, you have changed how you feel about the alpha's authority. Mm -hmm. You have kind of popped a seal or changed something in your psychology. And maybe the reason that you become alpha is because the next time you walk into the room with the alpha standing in the corner, you are walking in a little taller, a little differently. Everybody notices the dynamic in the room suddenly changes. You know, there's there's an awful lot of kind of stuff, I think, that goes on culturally with expressions of social order and how those can change. And and actually, although this is probably going to be very, very boring for your listeners, the real seeds of that part of the move for me came from um, legal philosophy I, I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade and one of the things I did on my degree, I had to do a, a part of my degree on philosophy of law. Mm -hmm. And there was a question in the philosophy of law that if you drive and you break the speed limit um, and there are no cameras and it's three o'clock in the morning and nobody sees you do it, does it matter that you have broken the law? And mm -hmm. one of the things that legal philosophy says is that well, actually, part of what matters is that you now think it's okay to break a law at three o'clock in the morning. And you have kind of chipped away at your own internal sense of mm. the primacy of the law in your own psychology. And that's kind of brings that into the make a challenge move by saying, when you make a challenge, you have chipped away at your sense of the primacy of the alpha in your own self. And you can't undo that. You can't take that back. Right. I I love the thought that challenging the alpha 
isn't actually or doesn't have to be challenging the alpha. The alpha is a concept. Like you just said, you know, the the alpha playbook is just who you are in the moment. There is no one alpha forever. And mm. this now I don't feel he is the alpha and I feel I am the alpha and this other person is starting to question whether that person's the alpha. And what's interesting is the alpha didn't have to be there and doesn't get a say in it is that they would have to do something on their own to change that dynamic back to, oh, okay, everybody does think I'm the alpha. But that's the really interesting thing is once you have made that kind of decision in your mind that I don't think they're the alpha anymore, you can't take that back. And I think that is not only super interesting for interpersonal relationships, but also at the core of what PBTA is. Once you do a thing, the world is changed. Yeah. We don't, we don't just say things. We don't just do things and go, and it affected nothing forever. <laughs> then, then why are we doing the thing? Right? Like that's not yeah. the game I want to play. And I think anybody who kind of subscribes to PBTA buys into that sentiment also. So I think. I don't think that's boring. I think the philosophy of law is actually really interesting and <laughs> what people, you know, how, how all, all the different people of the world take one single written rule or spoken rule or social contract and we guaranteed 100% of the time we all interpret it in slightly different ways. Mm. And that is, that says more about us than it does about the law itself, but it, unquestionably affects how that law functions absolutely and i think that um that one of the other things that i would kind of add to that and encourage people to play with is the idea that not only has your conception of who the alpha is and what the alpha means started to change in your own mind but that's that that's going to color your relationships that's going to change how you feel about your relationships both your relationships and that former alpha character they're going to have to completely rebase their relationships and there's so much interesting stuff i think that if i was the player who had that alpha playbook and had it taken away from me i would spend the entire rest of the campaign really enjoying finding out what my new relationships with all of those pack mates look like and how it would completely change them there's just so much cool story that you can do with that Right. And that goes back to that kind of bullet point of we're here, the win condition is telling a story. So losing alpha doesn't change, it doesn't change or deny you the opportunity to tell a story. It just kind of makes you do it in a different way than you previously expected. Um, And I think that's a great way of looking at it too, because you could easily look at this as, oh, I lost Alpha, now I absolutely have to spend all of my time as this character trying to get Alpha back, which you can, mm. and it would be interesting to do that, but it is by no means the one and only response to this. There's tons of, oh, okay, I'm relieved, I don't have to be the Alpha anymore, I can go do something yeah. else. You know, there are so many ways that you could play this. Um, so I think a lot of setup here with the players to say, look, anybody can be the Alpha at any time. You can lose it, you can gain it back, you can do all sorts of things. So it is not the death of a character. It is just simply the changing of social contracts, which is way more interesting than the social contract never changes. 
In fact, I think the idea of spending the rest of the game trying to get the alpha-dom back is probably the least interesting thing that you could do with this. I think for me, when I play Powered by the Apocalypse games, um, and, and Bite Me is sort of, I suppose in a way, the kind of the purest distillation of my feelings around this, um, my win condition is accumulating as many difficult emotional relationships that I can possibly generate to have really interesting powerful conversations Mm -hmm. you know that's what interests me and again my win condition is is gonna be how many how many deep and interesting conversations can i have one-to-one with these other players as our characters you know how many juicy situations can we get ourselves into and you know if somebody is going to try and manipulate my character then i'm going to be all over that i'm going to i'm absolutely i'm not going to resist that i'm going to do that and then i'm going to feel bad about it afterwards and then i'm going to have a conversation with them about it afterwards because Mm -hmm. that's as far as i'm concerned when somebody tries to manipulate my character they are feeding me an amazing bit of story that i would be a fool not to chase down yeah for sure I think this also plays back into uh, from Monster Hearts and uh, your ratcheting up of playing the characters as if they're stolen cars. Um, one one thing I would posit you might do when you steal a car is you don't look back. You know, you don't spend a mm. lot of time in that situation thinking about where you were, and you certainly don't want to go back to where you were if you have just stolen an automobile. But we could translate that over here to say like I was the alpha and I could spend a bunch of time looking back, but then arguably I'm not stealing this car. I'm not really progressing the way the, my character in this game, the way I could be to the level I could be. Um, and I think encouraging people just to say, look, this game isn't just who's the alpha and who's not the alpha. There's so much more in this game that it would be more interesting for you to go explore all of that other stuff than to try and go back to where you already were and go back to doing the things you were already doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, you know, part of part of my kind of design philosophy around this is very much informed by the fact I am, I would say, very privileged to have a gaming group of people who really, you know, understand that. They understand where the interesting story is. I think it was one of them, I think it was Simon who coined the phrase, let's play our characters like they're stolen cars. You know, people who really embrace those difficulties and see them as uh, just amazing opportunities for new stories. And, you know, it's 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 a very it's a very great privilege to play with people who just make it so easy, if you know what I mean. Oh, I, I do know, uh, and I have been privilege to have that and i have also not had that and it just it makes me appreciate it all the more when again people buy into this concept of winning is telling a great story and everybody just uses their character to support that and not to just keep developing their individual character I think that that's exactly right. And and the way that I would encourage people to look at this is your characters are absolutely at odds with each other. There is absolutely player versus player stuff, but uh, player character versus player character stuff. But as players, we should really be supporting each other to find these interesting opportunities and to make it easy for each other to do the kind of the difficult things and to, to take the vulnerable path. You know, I think there's an awful lot you can do as a player to make it easy and fun for another player to choose to be manipulated because it's more interesting 
Yeah, that's actually an amazing call out. And I'm going to start trying to modify my vocabulary to start saying character versus character, because you're absolutely right. If you're in a game where the players are literally competing with the other players, then again, that's not a game I want to be a part of. I don't think that that's very core (laughs) to what PBTA is supposed to be about. It's not the type of tabletop role playing game that I want to be in, but Mm the players can still both be having fun while their characters are literally fighting with each other. Exactly. And I know that a game of Bite Me is going to go well when we're in character setup and I have people sort of saying to each other, wouldn't it be cool if your character had screwed me over in this way? Right. Yeah, just, just setting set those up, up for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> set those things up. Set those bombs ticking, ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. be be kind of be colluding i would say be colluding with your other players in setting up difficult relationships and setting up messy stuff and and have fun with it yeah i think one of the really defining moments for me with my love for pbta is back when i was playing D exclusively i would always see character or players setting up characters and min maxing them and taking all the best stats and getting the right passive and choosing character race for mechanical reasons instead of narrative mm. reasons and i would my my kind of line my pitch to people was i want you to make broken awful dysfunctional characters and let me as the dm help make them awesome And then I got to PBTA and I'm like, oh, this whole genre of games is based on that core belief that the GM needs to be a fan of the players and the players are encouraged to make mistakes and do weird things. I'm like, oh, this whole thing was made for me. Great. Like, I don't have to keep forcing that on anybody. PBTA games will just encourage everybody to do the thing that I think is most interesting um, but I, again, here I would encourage it, like set up weird mm. interpersonal dynamics in your pack, let somebody choose an alpha who doesn't want it. And, and it's like, <laughs> that might be my house rule is anybody who says they want to be alpha doesn't get to be alpha. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to use that drive in the game. If you want alpha, you have to become the alpha. You know, I'm going to, whoever specifically doesn't want to be alpha has to start as alpha, which is rough. I'm sorry if you're ever in a game with me and I make you choose playbooks. I'm sorry. But um, I think here that that sentiment would be very negative in other games. That sentiment here just means that I'm going to make you get to this move because you want to. Yeah, I think those two players want to switch at some point and I have a move to do that. So yeah. everybody will end up in the place they want to end up, but I'm just going to make us take an interesting path to get there. And what I try to sort of stress to people as well um, in the games that I've run is that taking the alpha doesn't mean that you're better. It doesn't mean you get higher status necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, the moves you have as alpha are often around more giving tangible support, extra extra kind of you know plus one forwards and things ongoing it's not mm-hmm. that you get to be in charge but what you do get if you take the alpha playbook is that you are going to the responsibility for making this work is going to sit on your shoulders people are going to look to you for leadership and you know what that is actually quite a hard place to be mm-hmm. that is quite a hard place to be and so you've got to be ready to kind of lean into that there's a kind of a it, it really is around taking on that responsibility and and you know i've done you know we've done all sorts of things i i know that um in one of the playtests um the person who was emceeing a one-shot 
there was a player alpha in it and they had the player alpha sit at the head of the table instead of the MC. So everybody looked to them at the head of the table. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was I think that was Josh who who did that in his game. One of the, the playtests he ran for me and I thought that was a lovely little kind of twist. So kind of play with those kind of societal expectations. But I would say to players playing the alpha, actually, mm-hmm. you know, drama is going to be absolutely flying your way and you are probably going to feel a sense of responsibility, you know, so be prepared for that cognitive load. I think that's a, an amazing suggestion for anybody playing this game is to either position the alpha at the head of a table or give them a special name card or a hat to wear. I don't know, just anything to draw literal real world attention to them as the alpha. So mm-hmm. the players kind of start subconsciously looking to that person and their characters start looking to the alpha to really drive home that dynamic. Um, Again, and maybe you want to be the alpha right now, but after you become the alpha, you go, oh, wait, I did not want this. This is not, this is hard, which again is the whole point of the thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, that sounds like a really interesting dynamic that me as a, uh, the MC would want to tug on and poke at and direct people's attention to constantly. I think it's a really a really nice thing to do. And I'd also kind of say, you know, being alpha doesn't mean you stoically bear burdens. Those the the mechanics around sharing your emotions are as open to the alpha as anybody else and you can have an awful lot of fun with being the alpha who has somebody who acts as their confessor or somebody who um they have to unburden themselves to and things like that. You know, you can have an awful lot of fun with that. Yeah, and there's a ton of other relational moves in this game that underpin this. Again, we're just talking about the one move, mm. but there is just so much more. I've only just skimmed the surface of all of the other moves, and there's so much other stuff. Like we talked about disobeying, we talked about manipulating, there's, uh, you know, romantic and emotional moves, there is relationships that can add bonuses to moves. So there's so much else going on under here to underscore be like being the alpha is just your context it isn't your end-all be-all it isn't like i have to do alpha things all the time no it's what you are right now but that doesn't mean that the rest of the system is is kind of is cut off from you or taken away from you yeah well i just i just glanced at my runtime uh on the Mm. recording here and it's just like we're just getting started, but we're also <laughs> like hitting the hour mark. So I do want to kind of start wrapping up, but was there anything else about this move or the game in general that you wanted to to chat about and, and get out um, before we close out the episode? No, I think I think that I've hit a lot of um, a lot of the things I wanted to say. I, you know, as again, I, if there's one takeaway that I want people to have, it's that it's the fundamental takeaway from Powered by the Apocalypse games generally, which is failing is what's interesting. Success with consequences is far more interesting than than an unqualified success. And frankly, I think a failure in most cases is more interesting than a, even a qualified success because, you know, these games should be about chasing the interesting story and not protecting your character's win conditions at all costs. So go into this game with your win condition to be make an interesting story. I could not agree more with any statement that has ever been made on this show. So oh, thank you. that that is that is my entire philosophy with, you know, role playing games in general. And it is 
super exciting to me to hear that this game was kind of founded on that principle. So um, obviously I will be checking this game out. Um, I'm urging all of the other listeners out there to at least go check out the Kickstarter again. Um, it's on right now. It is currently funded. We're doing stretch goals right now for additional content. There will be a link in the description. And if my math is correct, uh, from the release date of this episode, you should have about a week left, uh, depending on your time zone, obviously, uh, to go check out the Kickstarter. So please do that. Um, there is, uh, PDFs available. There's hardcover and softcover versions available. Lots of cool stretch goals coming out from really talented writers. Please go check this game out. Um, kind of, I kind of got in cheerleading mode there for a quick second, but (laughs) but this, yeah, but this is, this is really great. And again, like I said, there are the, the pack dynamic, the werewolf and shapeshifter dynamic, the, this is all such a cool take on something that, you know, if you look back to like werewolf in 80s, 90s, early 2000s media and books and stuff. It really is just like, I'm an uncontrollable rage monster. And it's just like, (laughs) yeah, but that's only kind of one note. Being an uncontrollable, emotional, flawed person, that we can work with. That we got, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. No, completely, completely agree with you. I I love werewolves and and what I find so compelling about them is, is the pack. It's, you know, how does that, how does that work? How does that kind of tight bond work when you have these volatile characters? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we, we've kind of covered the Kickstarter. Um, If there was anything I missed, please uh, feel free to let us know. Uh, And also if there's anything else you would like to plug for the listeners to go check out, um, let us know. I will do. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. I'm really pleased that we managed to get to do it with all of our children's messy schedules. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, once you have kids, you, you get, like, it's like having a five-year-old oh. be your administrative assistant, and it's not yeah. <laughs> always the best. No, you're totally right. Well, on that note, I've got to go and put a five-year-old to bed right now. Awesome. i got to go take a five-year-old <laughs> to a birthday party, so... Um, All right. Well, listeners, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of The Hard Move. Again, go check out Bite Me on Kickstarter. And also remember to check out the Patreon for The Hard Move, which is just patreon.com slash The Hard Move. Please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And please make sure to do a rating and review on iTunes and Android if you can. It really helps get visibility on the show, get more listeners in. Uh, as, as previously mentioned, PBTA needs to take over the world, and I'm going to help do that. <laughs> um, so that's the master plan. That's what I'm doing here. Um, and as always, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. The Hard Move is hosted and produced by Matthew Gravelin. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and support the show at patreon.com slash The Hard Move. Music is by Nick Gravelin. You can find his work at nickgravelin.com. You can follow Becky on Twitter at Becky Anison and check out her work at blackarmada.com. Content featured in this episode is from Bite Me by Becky Anison. For more information, visit bit.ly slash bitemeks.